Hey there, Workplace Warriors. If you are looking to build profitable, lifelong relationships, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Do This, Sell More podcast, where you can make more money than you ever imagined and still get home in time for dinner. Don't miss out on expert tips and strategies from best-selling author Dave Lorenzo and his high-performing guests. The formula is easy. Listen and take action. In other words, do this, sell more. Now here's your host, the master of relationship sales strategy himself, Dave Lorenzo. Welcome to the Do This Sell More show. I'm Dave Lorenzo. And today, by popular demand, we are going to talk economics. That's right. The subject you hated in school, you love now that you're a business owner or that you're running a large sales team. You want to know what's going to happen in the future with the economy and how it's going to impact your business. And we've got the guy to share that information with you today. I am going to put Jason Shanker's bio in the notes for the show because it is enormous and it is very impressive. Let me just give you a taste for who we're talking to today. Jason is the president of Prestige Economics and he's the chairman of the Futurist Institute. He's been ranked one of the most accurate financial forecasters and futurists in the world. Bloomberg News has him ranked as a top forecaster in 43 categories, including number one in the world for his forecast accuracy in an astonishing 25 categories. So without any further really going into the fact that this guy is an expert, you can just Google his name and look at all the videos and the 19 books, 20 coming out this week that he's produced. So we're going to talk to him today for about 20 minutes And he's going to explain what the hell is going on with the economy and what you can look forward to and how you can prepare. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Dave. Great to be here today. All right. So, Jason, this as we're recording this, this is the end of August 2019. Tell us what you think is happening with the economy right now. Well, the first thing is that the global economy is in a really bad position. So if we look at what's going on with global purchasing manager indices, these are surveys of purchasing managers, people who work in manufacturing companies and they buy stuff. Why do they buy stuff? They have orders to fill. What happens when the orders get filled? That stuff goes into GDP, right? So if you work at a car manufacturing company, why would you buy more hubcaps? Well, it's probably because you're manufacturing cars. When the cars get finished, they go into GDP. So those are leading economic indicators. People are buying more stuff this month than last month. That means they have more orders to fill. They're buying less stuff this month than last month. That means they have fewer orders to fill. The GDP will go down. If we look at what's going on in China and the Eurozone, things are quite dire. Um, Through the month of July, six months in the Eurozone manufacturing PMI consecutively have contracted, and five of the last eight months in China have contracted. Global economy manufacturing is at the weakest level really all the way back since 2012, when you had the European sovereign debt crisis. So things aren't great right now on a global basis. So that's kind of the bad news. The good news is, is that the U.S. economy is in a much better spot. I know everyone's a bit freaked out, but 70% of the U.S. economy is consumption, and consumption is driven by people having jobs. And as you'll notice, the unemployment rate is quite low, and wages are up quite a bit. As long as people have jobs and they're spending, any kind of downturn would likely be quite muted in the United States because of that really fortunate situation that we're an economy that 
buys stuff and uh, people have jobs right now. So not as bad in the U.S., nowhere near it as bad as what's going on in the Eurozone and China. And our central bank still has a lot more wiggle room, I'd argue, than the European Central Bank or than the Bank of Japan. Uh, after all, uh, just the past week, German 30-year bunds went negative interest rates. That means uh, when, when you you know take out a, a, a loan from a German bank, technically they might be paying you interest. And that actually happened in a Danish bank uh, last week as well, where you take out a mortgage and it had negative interest rates. So that's a really weird thing to think about, but the Fed does not have negative interest rates. It could still cut quite a bit and could expand its balance sheet more to where it was just a year and a half ago. So we're not nearly as bad a position as the rest of the world, but you know, if you're in Europe or China, you're feeling crunch right now. Okay, so you said that we're a consumption-based economy. If, we're, if we buy things, People need to make a profit on the things we buy, so they manufacture them in places where it's cheap to manufacture. So I'm thinking right now specifically of China. We buy a lot of stuff that either the parts of the stuff we buy are manufactured in China or the actual entire product itself is manufactured in China. You said that manufacturing was slowing down over there. How does that affect us? Isn't that, doesn't that portend that we may be in, uh, in for a little bit of a rough ride down the road? Actually, I didn't mention the manufacturing corporate profits piece at all. The reason I mentioned manufacturing is because it's a leading global indicator. So manufacturing in the U.S., the Eurozone, and China. Uh, in the U.S. and Europe, it's about 10%-ish of GDP. In China, it's about two and a half times that. They're capital-intensive industries. They lead global economic growth. In the United States, our economy is 90% services. So... 70% of that, the, the economy is driven by consumption, 70% of GDP. As for the corporate profits piece, that's sort of a different story. And now we're kind of switching gears a bit. Um, you know, I, for companies that manufacture in China, they are going to face some challenges. The reason companies went there is they had really wide profit margins. But what we've seen recently is that a lot of companies are looking to move their manufacturing out of China, which really, I think, also culminated in uh, some uh, presidential tweeting on Friday that indicated that companies need to move their stuff. And there could be even at some point, I think, here the hint of a regulatory mandate of moving stuff out of China. And that does add costs, and that can hurt corporate profits. Corporate profits is not GDP. Corporate profits is not unemployment. Corporate profits is something that can hurt equity markets. Equity markets are in a really risky spot right now, very different than the economy. The reason they're in a risky spot is last year, 81% of IPOs were for companies that had negative earnings. There's also about half as many publicly traded companies now as there were 20 years ago. Furthermore, the companies with negative earnings last year, which by the way, 81% is a record, which was uh, previously equal to the previous record set uh, back in, I think, 99 or 2000. So this isn't really a really stable position. Companies that lose money, I'm sure most of the folks who watch this, if you work at a company that loses money, you usually don't exist very long. But in the public markets last year, when companies had IPOs, those that had their first day of trading, if they had negative earnings, the return on their investment on the first day of trading, how much profit you made was twice as high if your company lost money rather than if your company had positive earnings. Those kind of dynamics seem a bit messed up. And although markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent, 
these kinds of dynamics aren't going to persist forever. So that means that equity markets are risky. Things that threaten corporate profits are risky. We've been expecting and forecasting for over a year and a half that there would be a business investment recession this year in 2019 and, and potentially bleeding into 2020. But business investment is only about 15% of GDP. And there was a business investment recession in the United States in 2015 and 2016. And in 2015, GDP was 2.6%. And in 2016, it was 1.6%. Notice GDP is still positive, even though corporate profits took big, big hits and CapEx spending went down and corporate profits took a hit. So can companies lose money and GDP still be positive? Yes. But uh, that's kind of the question of what's a recession and what makes the stock market drive, uh, drive thousands of points. And by the way, even though right now, here we are, August 2019, people are freaked out. The Dow is still up thousands of points since the beginning of the year, even though we've seen a recent pullback. So I think there's a big thing here to keep an eye on and to keep in mind the headline over trend line. And the trend line to watch is people have jobs, people have money. That's important for GDP. Uh, the headline is, well, there's all this trade stuff that can really hurt corporate profits. There's also other weird dynamics that fundamentally don't make sense. How is it you have all these IPOs and companies losing money? And the more you lose, the more you're worth. It doesn't make much sense. Um, those things, uh, that can be really, really negative for equity markets, especially if confidence is lost. But if we were to look at a recession coming forward out of any of this, something we don't expect, although we do expect a business recession, and we have been forecasting a Chinese manufacturing recession, which is going on right now, and which also happened through December 2014 and mid 2016. Um, you know, if, if we think about overall recession, it would probably be something that looks more like 2001, which by some definitions wasn't even a recession, and nothing like a great recession, because most people's largest assets, houses, are secure and that market has still been widely delevered, which means there's not a lot of crazy credit out there. Yes, there is for subprime auto loans. Cars are a lot easier to repo than houses. And so consumers are less likely to lose confidence than they did during the Great Recession. Okay, so the I, I wanna make sure I understand what you're saying. As long as people have jobs, we don't have to worry about a recession because we're a consumption economy. Jobs equals money in people's pockets. Money in people's pockets means they spend. So companies can lose money as long as they're not laying people off. And as long as unemployment remains relatively constant, then we'll be fine. Uh, and to a certain degree, that's right. And I'd, I'd also add about the labor market one other thing that obviously if companies with equity and they take big, big hits, they might lay off. But right now what's going on is there's not enough people to fill the jobs. The labor market's at the tightest it's been in 50 years. And anyone I talk to, probably most people watching this, uh, would tell you their biggest problem at work isn't some weird looming recession. It's man, we can't find the people we need in our group in order to grow the business because the labor market's too tight. We can't afford the people or we can't find them. This is the biggest problem for every company I talk to right now. So again, we can have parts of the economy contract, but people are, are the wages are up, the people have jobs and, and companies wish they could hire more people. There are companies I know that are, okay, they're waiting for, you know, maybe a recession be the time to go out and hire all the people they need, which means, how bad could a recession be if companies are now waiting to scoop up people as soon as they would get laid off? So that's something to keep in mind. I think really important that, um, you know, the U.S. economy is a much better place than the global economy. Okay. So the services sector is a significant portion of our current economy. What happens if 
we experience some type of inflationary pressure and the Fed doesn't have the tools to react or the Fed is too slow to react and inflation escalates, how does that impact what will happen with the overall GDP and ultimately with the economy, the broader economy? Well, I think if you look at the trend, the Fed's really struggled to engender any kind of level of inflation. I mean, most central banks are struggling to have inflation. I mean, Bank of Japan, uh, they're one of the biggest holders right now of ETFs on the Nikkei. That means the Bank of Japan owns equities in large volumes. They can't create inflation, right? The, the European Central Bank has a much larger uh, balance sheet than we do in terms of how much quantitative easing they've done, how much corporate debt they've also been buying. They can't get inflation. We have struggled to be around 2% inflation on a consistent basis. So, you know, it, it's a really tough gig. So where would all this, this mythical, magical inflation come from if we have global deflationary pressures? You know, I think if we had a little more inflation, it might not necessarily be a bad thing. Uh, obviously, for people who are, say, debt holders, it's actually probably a, a good thing we had a little more inflation. But, you know, the biggest thing is the Fed wants to see stable inflation around 2%. Part of the reasons the Fed recently did a rate cut is because we're below that and we're nowhere near that, that what their target really is. So uh, a little more inflation would not necessarily be a terrible thing. And look, the Fed was able to expand its balance sheet by more than three and a half trillion dollars. And we struggled to have 2% inflation. It was three and a half trillion dollars that came out of the ether, by the way. That's not like, that wasn't government debt money. That wasn't, no, no, no. The Fed just said, hey, we have another three and a half trillion. We're going to spend it right they just made that money up and we didn't get any inflation and by the way the national debt is at record levels and the government is spending oodles of money and we also don't have any inflation so i don't know if getting lots of inflation is very easy in this environment and i would argue part of the reason we've seen interest rates remain low in the u.s and part of the reason i think the u.s yield curve recently inverted so that's the the, the, the graphical depiction of future government interest rates Normally, the yield curve goes up. It's a normal yield curve because when you borrow money for 30 years, you should get more than when you borrow for 10. And when you borrow, uh, you know, when, when you're, you're giving money to the government for 10 years, you should have a higher interest rate than for two years. Because there's just longer-term risk, right? That's normal that the interest rates would be higher. When the yield curve inverts, that means that the interest rates that are um, closer uh, in, in time are actually – um, going to be higher than some of the ones that are a little bit further out. So you end up with this inversion where you actually get more money up front and, and, and a lower interest rate further out. And that's that yield curve with 10 year. You get a lower interest rate for giving the government money for 10 years than you do for two years, which seems really weird, unless you consider the fact that the global economy is on the verge of recession. Europe's in a manufacturing recession. China's in a, in a manufacturing recession. And German bonds are at negative interest rates. How much do you want to buy U.S. bonds, which have positive interest rates, when the dollar's already strong, right? Which means if you're in Europe and you buy it, if the dollar ever weakens, you not only get a better interest rate on U.S. treasuries than you do in Europe, where you have to pay to borrow, this is crazy, um, then, then the other option is, of course, the dollar's really strong and it goes down, then you'd also make money on the carry trade, which means that in the future, if the dollar's weaker and you're a European investor and you bought bonds with higher yields in the US, um, you're making a better interest rate. And when you turn it back into euros, the dollar might be lower. And now you actually get more euros too. Why wouldn't the US yield curve invert in that situation? Right? So that's some of what's going on in the background. And the US just has some of the best interest rates and we still have very low inflation.
Okay, so give us your forecast. What do you see for the rest of this year, the, the remaining few months in this year, and for 2020? What do, what do you see happening in the future with the economy? Yeah, look, I think it's going to be dicey for business investment. I think it's going to be dicey for CapEx. For 2019, our GDP forecast has consistently been around 2 to 2.5%. Not a great year, not a bad year. It's pretty good. It's okay. Uh, so GDP, like to be modestly positive. Could the line items for fixed investment be negative? Yeah, we saw that in Q2. There was a contraction in business investment already in the second quarter of 2019. Could that happen again in coming quarters? Yeah. Has that happened when we didn't have a recession? Very much so. Happened in 2015, 2016. We could see it again, of course. Now, that's that's sort of the first piece. The, the second piece is, well, what do we see for the labor market? Could we see the unemployment rate go up a little bit? Or, yeah, we could see that, but I wouldn't expect anything dramatic, uh, not where we are right now, based on that consumption piece for the overall U.S. economy. Now, next year, U.S. GDP could be even a bit slower. Some of this is a base effect of how growth feeds through to years and year-on-year -year effects and the whole thing. But GDP between 1% and 1.5% would be a very weak year. It would be the weakest year since the Great Recession. But notice, still a positive year. So, you know, that's you know not terrible either. It's just slowing. By the way, we had once-in-a-generation tax cuts come through at the end of 2017, which really gave 2018 a boost. Right, 2018 was feast. Well, you don't have feast and then feast some more and then feast some more. It's mm -hmm. usually feast and then a little bit of famine, right? So, you know, this is a year where we're coming off record highs, record really, uh, you know, activity in many different ways for 2018. So 2019 just going to be a little bit weaker. 2020 like the elite week as well. Um, there's also concerns about how the political situation could be through and concerns about what might happen with tax rates going into the 2020 election. But I think by 2021, I think things have improved. Monetary policies become more accommodative and the global economy has improved. So, you know, look at these next 18 months as kind of a choppy patch. It's going to be very choppy for equity markets. A lot of risk, a lot around trade that's going to remain, I think, elevated trade risks. I don't think those go away. A lot of uncertainty of policy. So that's going to make people really scared. But that affects equity markets. It might not actually affect your job. It might not affect GDP as much. So those are just things to keep in mind and making that distinction between what's the economy and what are equity markets. Okay, give us your thoughts on, uh, there's two sectors that I'm concerned about and I'm sure our viewers are concerned about in particular. Uh, the first is uh, large purchases like autos, for example, that the consumer may go out and purchase. Where do you see, for example, the auto market heading? Um, manufacturing pressure, that sort of thing. Will there be some inflation in the auto market? Is it going to be harder to get financing for cars or easier? What do you see there? So the first thing is we did expect that autos would slow significantly this year as a result of the fact that the Fed raised interest rates 100 basis points last year. So we, the autos have slowed. You look at the seasonally adjusted annual rates are quite low now, and they're likely to fall a bit further. One of the big things to know about cars is that car credit, auto credit, is really one of the things that allowed for this business cycle to expand. Throughout American history, after a recession, the main source of growth was new housing. But because of the nature of the Great Recession, housing credit became very constricted. And so new credit creation really happened in autos. There was a lot of subprime auto loans. Some recent data released by the New York Fed really underscored this, that you've had a lot of auto sales in subprime. Now, are we gonna get a lot more auto sales for new vehicles? Probably not. Uh, if we see the economy slow, 
you know, it really depends what happens with consumers, but are you going to get more repo? Sure. Is that terrible for the company that did the auto loan? Not necessarily because they keep the money people already paid on the auto loan. Then they repo the car and still get to resell it. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, it, you know, depending on how, how big that would get activity wise, but for the companies that have extended the credit, it's very different than for housing where, Right now, I'm sure there are people who defaulted on their mortgage in the Great Recession, in the housing crisis, and today, right, 11, 12 years later, are still living in those houses. I am sure somewhere there's somebody like that, right? Now, for cars, you know, you're going to pull up to a 7-Eleven and go in and get a Slurpee, and Dog the Bounty Hunter is going to come jump in your car and drive off, right? That's what's going to happen, and that's a lot easier than trying to move a family out of where they live. And, and there's a whole, a whole series of laws around this and the whole thing. So I'm less concerned about that, but I do think auto sales will be slow. Uh, I think housing could slow down a little bit, but it depends very much on the market. Some markets can be very hot. I, mean, I, I live in Austin, Texas. The unemployment rate here is between two and a half and three percent. So they, you know, there's a thousand people moving here a week and we still don't have enough people to really satisfy the needs of the labor market. Really depends very regionally what's going on, where you are, but Auto sales likely to slow. I wouldn't expect auto prices to go up much. I think what's going to happen is, uh, you know, you're going to see some of the currency arbitrage play through as companies try to, foreign producers of cars try to take advantage of a strong dollar to repatriate dollars without having to uh, adjust their dollar price of their car. In other words, if you're a foreign car manufacturer, you're selling into the U.S. and the dollar is really strong. When you turn that dollar back into your home currency, whether it's euros or yen, or remember, you're getting a lot more of your home currency. And that's what you really care about. You don't care about the dollar price of the car because your stock price doesn't trade in dollars. Your balance sheet isn't denominated in dollars. You care about your home currency. So strong dollar is actually still um, you know, gonna be pretty good for foreign auto sales and preventing those inflationary factors in the US. Uh, you know, I, I think that the economic dynamics are going to prevent inflation. So I don't think you're going to see auto sales go down and auto prices go up. I think you could see both auto sales and prices go down a little bit further than we're Okay, the last one is the, the consumer credit card market, the consumer credit market. What do you see for that in the next uh, 12 to 18 months? Well, you know, I think that uh, if we look at, again, household credit, just last week, data from the New York Fed came out, showed a few things. So household credit is mortgages plus auto loans, plus student loans, plus credit card debt, plus home equity lines. It's basically all the debt you'd have in any household. It is just now higher than it was in the Great Recession, which means, and by the way, but that's in nominal terms, that's in dollar terms, not, that's, that, that means, despite the fact that we've had 10 years of inflation, we're just now at the same level we were then, right? Or a little bit more than we were then. So the credit situation isn't really a big crunch. As long as people have jobs, the credit, you know, credit card creation, uh, credit in credit, uh, new credit creation for credit cards, uh, you know, it shouldn't be hindered too, too much. And by the way, if the Fed starts cutting rates, then those credit card interest rates can also fall as well. So uh, not a lot, but, but, you know, every 25 basis points helps and, and the whole thing. So, you know, I think that we're going to still see people spending. I think we're going to see uh, the economy continue to remain relatively positive, although parts of the economy will be in recession. I think those big expenses, big capital expenditures, 
I think there's a risk that some of those uh, could be postponed. But again, a lot was probably pulled forward into 2018 because of those tax cuts. All right. So Jason, where can people get more information from you if, they, if they're interested in continuing the conversation with you or they want to know more about what's going to happen in the future? Where can they get more from you? Sure. I mean, the best place for people to go is to my personal website, jasonschenker.com. If you're worried about recession, uh, you might want to check out my book, Recession Proof. I wrote it in 2016 when business investment was in recession, when Chinese manufacturing and the Eurozone uh, were, uh, well, Chinese manufacturing was in recession, Eurozone was on the edge, even U.S. manufacturing was in recession. And that's actually what prompted me to write that book. So uh, that book, Recession Proof, is out there. That'll help folks navigate what comes next. But uh, if you want more interest in what I do, uh, whether that's uh, the books or our research uh, that we produce or continuing the conversation, as you say, uh, jasonshanker.com is the best place. All right, jasonshanker.com. We will put that in the show description. We'll put it on the notes on the website along with Jason's bio. Jason, thank you very much for spending a few minutes with us today and helping us understand what's going on with the economy. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Have a great day. All right. Thanks very much, folks. That'll do it for another episode of the Do This, Sell More show. I'm Dave Lorenzo. We'll see you right back here again next Thursday at 12 o'clock for another edition of the Do This, Sell More show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Give us your feedback on each episode and get access to our free sales training course at dothissellmore.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Do This, Sell More. Sell More.